0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster centric myths and legends, some not so ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. So, first off, I'd like to say sorry about the impromptu hiatus last week. During the holidays, it's always fun to fly back and see family but with all the fun, I didn't have time to write an episode. So, so sorry about that. I'll try not to make it a regular thing, and next time I'll give you more of a heads up. Hopefully this week we can make up for it, though, because I've got a spicy one for you. That's right, this episode is all about salamanders and newts, and we've got some crazy stories about these little amphibians. Let's take a look at how to poison a whole village, witch slang, salamander wool cloaks, and a Celtic fairy newt that just wants to share your meals with you. To start, let's take a look at salamanders in general. All salamander families, and there are many, as well as newts, are found under the order Urodella. Under this order, newts and true salamanders belong to the family Salamandridae, which is distinguished from other salamanders due to the lack of rib or coastal grooves along the sides of their body and rough skin. This is the family we'll be mostly focused on today. Members of this family are usually brightly patterned to advertise poison and have well-developed limbs with four toes on the front limbs, and usually five toes on the back limbs. That last part may seem trivial, but with so many species that look alike or similar enough, toe counting is actually an important marker for species identification, which makes things tricky when a salamander loses a limb or two. Not to worry, though. Salamanders, uniquely among vertebrates, can actually regenerate lost limbs. So maybe just wait a few days and come back, amateur herpetologist. Also. Please don't try the limb-regenerating thing for yourself. And no taking eyes from poor newts either, because not only will those not grow back, but it turns out that that's not even a real spell component. That's right, the famous eye of newt, popularized as an ingredient in a witch's brew in Shakespeare's Macbeth, is probably just cool witch slang for mustard seeds. Turns out that someone with a really cool degree discovered that eye of newt, toe of frog, wool of bat, and tongue of dog are ancient shorthand for the plants mustard seed, buttercup, holly leaves, and the herb Hound's tongue. Witches gave these plants these gruesome nicknames to protect the secrets of their craft, which is important if you're the town's only witch slash natural healer and you want to keep it that way. Apparently in black magic, Eye of Newt is used for casting spells of strife, confusion, discord, and disruption. But luckily, not on Newt's. Now that we've established that no newts have been harmed, let's go back to the generic term salamander. Salamanders and newts look very alike to the common observer, and in classic accounts are almost always lumped under the generic term salamander, with the exception of aquatic newts being referred to as tritones after the mythical triton. One of the earliest surviving accounts of a salamander is from Pliny the Elder, who remarks that the salamander is an animal like a lizard in shape, with a body starred all over. It never comes out except during heavy showers, and disappears the moment the weather becomes clear. This description is incredible, because it's an accurate description that could fit either the golden alpine salamander, or a subspecies of the fire salamander, and alludes to two important facts about salamanders. They aren't lizards, and they seek moisture. Let's not be too quick to give old Pliny too much credit, because after that, the wheels come off the train. Pliny then proceeds to say that salamanders can extinguish fire with the coldness of their bodies. Even though in a later book of this same work he seems skeptical of this claim, he still writes it down, and people run with it, as we will see soon. He also describes that salamanders have poisonous properties, which is true, fire salamanders and alpine salamanders do excrete milky, toxic, physiologically active substances when threatened. But this also gets run with, and later accounts in the 12th century describe a single salamander as being so toxic that, by twining around a tree, it could poison the fruit and so kill any who ate them, and by falling into a well, could slay all who drank from it. Now, the problem with the above claim is it's hard to shake an idea that has a kernel of truth. Like I said, many members of the salamandridae family do produce toxins that can be harmful and sometimes fatal if ingested. So it's easy to see why, if you don't know how poison works, you would just assume this tiny monster is out to get you with its incredibly deadly self. Another problem is, people don't make the connection between the milky substance that salamanders excrete and the poisonous aspect. So in French folklore of the same century, you have people believing that a salamander's breath is the toxic part, and that its breath is so poisonous that any animal or person that breathes it will swell until its skin breaks and die. This gave the salamander the nickname Bellow's Breath, and supposedly the only way to kill such a poisonous beast was to lock it in a confined space until it breathes its own poison. Which is not how any animal's poison has ever worked, ever. Because if your own venom or poison could kill you, you'd be in trouble as a species. But I digress. These monstrous amphibian rumors were not helped at all by another important aspect of salamander's. As I alluded before, Pliny's original description of salamanders was great, because it pointed to the fact that salamanders seek moisture. They have to. They have semi-permeable skin. So if a salamander doesn't stay moist, it'll dry out and die. And you know a really great place to stay moist, be protected from predators, and find tasty invertebrates to eat? Rotting logs, which have the unfortunate property of also being great fuel for fire. So some poor unwitting peasant would gather logs from the forest, or an old log from their woodpile, throw it in the fire, and bam, instant salamanders, scampering out from the flames covered in milky white stuff. So the logical conclusion? Salamanders are born out of fire, obviously, immune to fire, and the white stuff is either what makes them immune to fire, or directly extinguishes the flames, maybe? This idea that salamanders are immune to fire sticks around during the Renaissance with Leonardo da Vinci writing, Salamanders only eat and live in fire, and a contemporary Paracelsus going so far as to suggest that salamanders are the elemental of fire, which has had echoes in culture continuing to the present day, and which leads to the common name fire salamander for the unfortunate species salamandra salamandra, as well as some very creative fireproofing methods. In the Jewish text the Talmud, a sound argument is made that because salamanders are born of fire, Anyone that is smeared with their blood will also be immune to fire, which I assume was tested exactly once. Then there came the salamander wool cloaks. During the Renaissance era, Chinese dignitaries would impress travelers to China with garments that could be tossed into a fire and pulled out completely unharmed. These incredible clothes were claimed to be made from salamander wool, and before you know it, salamander wool fever was on. According to T. H. White, Pope Alexander III had a cloak made of salamander wool so did the emperor of india and contemporary writers could not stop singing the praises of these incredible amphibian clothes an author in 1688 wrote i have several times put salamander hair in the fire and made it red hot and after taking it out which being cold yet remained perfect wool now i'm sure by this point many of you are either trying to work out the logistics of making a whole outfit from salamanders or mourning the inevitable extinction of the incredible woolly salamander but don't worry, I have good news for you. Turns out the clothes were made from asbestos, which is great news for our little slimy friends, and not so great news for the people who are walking around decked out in asbestos. Now, I can't end an episode without at least touching on one proper, specific monster from folklore. And luckily, I don't have to! The newt creature you've all been waiting for is the Alp Lucra, a Celtic fairy monster also known as the Joint Eater. In Irish folklore, If a person falls asleep beside a spring or a stream, the alpucra, which looks like a newt, will crawl up and into the sleeper's mouth. It then makes a home inside the unfortunate sleeper, eating the essence of whatever food they eat and starving the victim as it enjoys all their meals for them. The only way to get rid of a joint eater is to eat large amounts of salted meat without drinking anything, and then lie beside the surface of a stream with your mouth open. The alp lucra then gets so thirsty from all that tasty salted meat that it crawls out of the victim's mouth and back into the river to get itself a drink. And just like that, no more newt fairy. Now, we all know this is probably an early explanation for getting internal parasites like tapeworms, but just to be on the safe side, maybe just avoid newts altogether. So that is going to do it this week for salamanders and newts. I hope you enjoyed the epic backstory of the humble salamander, and if you're curious about any of these stories, or want to read an extensive list of fire salamanders in pop culture, check the show notes to find out more. Intro and outro music is by Scott Ethington. Lastly, if you like what you heard, please rate and review on iTunes, or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster.